a lot of people when they're setting goals, they look at what they're going to do on their best day instead of looking at what they can stick to on their worst day. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Our yeah. boy James Clear. What up? Oh my God. We're and off topic. I don't care. I, Let's keep going. We're off topic, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that is so true. I'm going to fucking steal that because what can you stick to on the worst day when you are feeling not motivated, when you are feeling like, I don't want to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. What can you do on the worst day? Because on your best day, you can fucking do anything. It's super easy to show up on the motivated on those best days. Like it's super easy to show up. It's super easy to cook healthy, but what can you do on your worst day? And what can you stick to to stay the course? I fucking love that. Yeah, me too. It's like another way to describe minimums, right? What is the minimum that you can do to keep that ball rolling? It's the dimmer switch again. Exactly. You turn it up, you turn it down. It's never completely off. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks. Two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Let's do this. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, how are you? great doing good in my deficit teaching more at the pole studio which is nice like just getting some extra activity and just feels super good overall things are great how about you iris good just taking a break from client check-ins on this beautiful wednesday it's cold as fuck outside but it's sunny so i'm not complaining about that the sun's actually shining but yeah i'm doing really well i'm also in a deficit for a couple weeks here just living my best life. Oh, yeah. I had like, I think one of my first hangry moments the other day, like when I got really hangry and I was like, oh, mm. my goodness, it's past my lunchtime. I need to eat. And of course, as soon as I finish lunch, I'm just like, happy belly, happy Brooke. <laughs> Can relate. Thank you to our dear, sweet listeners for these questions that we're going to answer and discuss a little bit. I really love doing Q&A episodes because there's only so much time and space. You can talk about things on Instagram. (laughs) And I like being able to give more nuance and like approach things from a a different perspective, a couple different perspectives, maybe. So I've divided them up again into fitness, nutrition, and mindset and give some A's to some Q's. Love it. Let's do this. (laughs) You want to kick off the first one? Yes. Why does zero sugar soda have zero calories, but something like zero sugar breakfast syrup still have calories? Well, as I crack open my Diet Coke, we're going to answer this question. (laughs) Iris, take it away. That's a good one because marketings can sometimes be a little bit confusing. And sometimes the assumption is there like zero sugar should be zero calories, right? Reduced fat should be zero calories, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case because some of these things contain calories from other things, right? Like fillers, other sweeteners, for example, in reduced fat things, like example, reduced fat cheese, it's lower calorie than full fat cheese, but there's still a lot of protein in it. So that's going to contain calories. 
And in terms of sugar, that can be the same thing. Just because something doesn't have sugar giving it the calories, that doesn't mean that it's completely devoid of energy. Yeah, like carbohydrates play a big a big factor in that. I know like with breakfast syrup, it might have calories because it probably contains a little bit of carbohydrates and fillers, just like Iris had mentioned. And so, and and things like reduced fat, that doesn't mean no fat. It means the fat content is just reduced. And usually when it, is reduced, you get a little bit more protein out of those, like Iris mentioned. However, like I just caution some people when they're doing like fat-free cheese, fat-free milk, things like that, make sure you are getting your healthy fats in somewhere. Because those things, when Mm -hmm. they are reduced fat or when they're no fat, sometimes that means that yes, the protein is increased, but because the fat content is drastically reduced, either they add sugar to make it taste good. Because if you remove the fat out of something, it doesn't always taste that great. But it also, you want to make sure you're still getting in your healthy fats because they play such an important role in our body. So making sure you're still getting those in in other forms is going to be really important. That's a good point that you mentioned that when they remove something, sometimes they have to compensate by adding other things to fix the flavor or the texture. And that just doesn't always balance out to zero calories. So it's just the awareness piece, right? Some people with certain health conditions like diabetes, for example, they have to pay more attention to the sugar content of things. So that can be helpful for them. But for people without diabetes, it's not really a big deal. They can be helpful in certain situations, for example, the Diet Coke, you can use those calories elsewhere instead of drinking a whole bunch of them, not really being full and then not really feeling satisfied for a longer period of time. So just some things to consider. Sometimes you come across foods where it's reduced fat, but it's, there's still calories because a lot of times what, what'll happen is they'll reduce fat, which is nine calories per gram. And they will replace that with a carbohydrate source, which is four calories per gram. So they're reducing fat, but possibly adding carbs. So, you know, knowing where those calories are being allotted is important. And sometimes like in the sense of like dairy, if it's lower fat, what they'll do is they'll increase the protein content, which still keeps it lower calorie because protein is also four calories per gram. So you're reducing fat and you're increasing protein, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if you do tend to lean towards fat-free foods, just make sure you're getting your fats in elsewhere. Mm -hmm. All right. Next, having both had stints in a calorie deficit last year, is there anything you personally learned or would do differently? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Every time I go into a deficit, I learn something new. And one of the things that I learned is it's okay. Well, and I knew this, right? From being a coach, I know this, but actually like applying it is a different story. The one thing that I really had to come to terms with and and apply is I'm going to be hungry sometimes. Like I know mm-hmm. that information, but of course, every once in a while, I'm sure you listening can experience this. You feel like you're the exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hunger, it's not comfortable for anybody trust. Nobody likes it. But part of the game of being in a calorie deficit is experiencing a little bit of hunger and being okay with it and not automatically rushing to fix it. You can acknowledge it and let it go and accept that it's part of what you're deciding to do right now. Absolutely. And one thing that I really love too is being creative when you're in a deficit. 
I guess that's something that I also learned was being creative with your food. I mean, being able to like add a lot of high volume vegetables, zucchini or green beans, really like beefing up your meals and making sure that there's a lot of vegetables, making sure you're getting some fruit in there for fiber. That's something that I really focused on my last deficit with the last time my deficit went really well. And it was, I was eating a lot more vegetables. And so using that and being able to be creative in the kitchen and how can I add veggies here? How can I add veggies there? That is super, super helpful. And that definitely is something that I'm carrying with me into this deficit because what that's going to do is it's actually going to help satiate you. And it's also going to add a lot more micronutrients. And here in the winter months, like that's important. It's important for your immune function. So like making sure that this time around, I'm adding a lot more vegetables, a lot more fruit, and it has been so helpful in the long run. It's funny that you say that particular piece, because that is exactly what I'm doing as well. <laughs> and it's exactly what I did too. Like the last time I had a stint in the deficit that went really, really well, I was intentional about my micronutrients and my volume. It just literally fills you up and makes it easier to be consistent because you're not constantly feeling those annoying twinges of hunger. Like they come, it's part of it, and it's to be expected as we've already talked about. But when you literally fill your stomach up more and feed your body a wide range of micronutrients, after a while, you can feel the difference. Oh, absolutely. I really believe most people can actually feel the difference. Yeah. Well, and their energy levels, like people's mm -hmm. energy levels get better. The, the more you increase your quality of food, the more energy you're going to have because you're going to My skin. Yes. My skin gets better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Our bodies are truly incredible. And I think a lot of people don't give our bodies enough credit. We're, yeah. some people are so focused on changing it or reaching their goals or making our bodies stronger that it's hard for some people to take a step back and look at how we fuel our bodies and what that can do. Like I had the same thing happen to me where when I started drinking a lot more water, because that's another part of the piece. Like if you're in a deficit, drink your fucking water because that can really help like drinking eight ounces of water before a meal that can help. You still get a little bit of fullness from the water, but what can happen is once you eat food and you're increasing your food volume, it's amazing what it does for your body. You might not eat as much because you realize like, oh, not that you miss, you always mistake like thirst for hunger because I hate when people say that, but it can be helpful in portion control before a meal. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that was kind of reinforced for me last year was just everything we talk about timelines, that they just don't fucking matter and they don't help. I earlier last year in a podcast, we talked about this in depth and, and we'll revisit it because it's been a while, but I shared an experience where we had a, a very, very close friend's wedding, like one of our best friends. We hadn't seen him in a long time. A lot of our chosen family, who some of whom we've never met in person, were finally going to be together in one place at this wedding after like years of getting really close over COVID and becoming really good friends and hanging out online multiple times a week for hours. <laughs> And I kind of had that self-imposed timeline of this is a wedding that I want to look good for. Not that anybody else cared. I knew that internally. 
but I did want to be successful in a deficit for a timeline. And once we talked about it and once I got it off my chest, it kind of let that go a little bit because I knew, again, nobody cared. It was just me. I was putting this on myself. And then I was able to be a lot more consistent because there wasn't this pressure on me. We went to the wedding, had a fantastic time, really enjoyed hanging out with our people. And then for the rest of the year, I had some times of pulling back a little bit and not being super on point and just being okay with living life. Yeah. And maintaining. Did I get to my quote unquote goal? Like I didn't have a weight goal, but I had a consistency goal. Did I 100% follow through? No. Did I survive? Yes. (laughs) Is it okay? Yes. And just like that was reinforced for me, the dimmer switch analogy that we talk about where it's not all the way on. It's not all the way off. We turn it up when we can. We dial it back when we need to. It's never completely off. It's just life. Life happens. Allow life to happen. It's okay. And once you have certain habits in place, even if you're not completely on point, it's also not all lost because you have this lifestyle and this identity as a person who cares about this stuff, how much and what you eat, getting movement in, doing your lifts, mental health, stress management, all of that stuff. And so it just all kind of balances out once you get that pressure off yourself. So that was really reinforced for me last year. And I just want to pass that on again because, man, these deadlines that people put on themselves, some of which are understandable because if you have a date for something, yeah, it's it's a date for something that's upcoming. But relieve some of that pressure. It makes life so much easier, so much more enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, unless you do have a deadline, let's let's say you're getting married or you're going to someone's wedding. Like having an aesthetic goal is valid. If you want to look a certain way in a in a dress or in a tux or what have you, like that's totally fine. It's totally valid. But when you are putting deadlines on yourself when you don't have an event, when you're just like I want to be this weight by summer. What is going to happen in summertime if you're not that weight? Like is the world going to fucking crumble? Probably not. <laughs> The world's been crumbling. (laughs) It's already on its way out. It's already on fire. (laughs) This is fine. (laughs) But seriously, like when you put that deadline on yourself, all it's going to do is weigh on you. And I know this because last year, like I'll be, I'll, I'll be a little bit of an open book here. Last year, I went through a lot of shit. My ex-fiance and I, we ended a relationship, but we I had to move. I had to completely uproot our life, like my son and I's life and create a new, pretty much a new routine and a new life on my own with him. And I was also trying to be in a calorie deficit. Was that smart? Absolutely not. <laughs> and so that's also important is like I was putting deadlines on myself. And like you guys, we're, we're people too. Mm-hmm. Coaches are people too. And we still sometimes make these mistakes from time to time. And I think that's important for people to know, like, you're not the only ones like coaches. This also can happen to coaches. But I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to be this weight by my birthday. And my birthday's in May. And when it was May, I was like, I am not this weight. And you know what? I don't give a fuck. Like, and I shouldn't say weight because it's more of a composition goal that I had versus a weight goal. But you know, coaches are people too. I am now in a deficit almost a year after ending my my engagement. And now I'm finally in a place mentally, physically, emotionally, 
spiritually where I can dedicate that time to myself. And I see that a lot with clients sometimes where they have so much on their plate, a deficit is only going to add to it. So a deficit is a choice. Like you have to choose to have that type of drive and discipline when you're in a deficit. And sometimes life events can affect that. Like it absolutely affects that. So making sure that like, when you're going into a deficit, like make sure that you've, I mean, this might sound a little shitty, but like make sure that you've earned the right to be there. No, I agree. I don't think that sounds shitty at all. I think the successful people have done that, whether or not they're aware of it. Yeah. I think the people who genuinely are successful long-term have earned the right to be in a deficit because they've been putting these things in practice, which I think can happen sometimes simultaneously. But Sometimes it's just not the right time and it's okay. Like, I mean, I've talked about Mm -hmm. last summer too. We have local friends and we had family move in town. My husband's cousin and his wife and my brother-in-law, they all live in town now. It was an extremely social summer. And the trade-off that I did not want to make was doing all the fun stuff with my people. And I had to be okay with that. Could I have held myself a little bit more accountable to the things. Yeah, of course I could have, but I didn't want to. And that's the power and the choice that we get to make. I chose not to be super consistent. And that, that I think is something that people have a hard time hearing is that when you're not consistent, a lot of the time that is your choice as well. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it's your choice to be consistent and yeah, do some things make it harder. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, (laughs) quit giving up your power at the first little hiccup. (laughs) I say having a very social and inconsistent better half of last year, (laughs) but I'm okay with it. And that's the point. Exactly. And I love that you brought that up because I know it does sound a little bit harsh to be like, you need to earn the right to diet. So what does that mean? Right. Like some people might be like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Give me an example. And an example is, is you need to develop habits before you go into a deficit. Mm -hmm. Like you need to start creating habits, making sure that like you are preparing your food, like building these habits before going into a deficit. That way you don't go into a deficit. You have no habits that you've built anything on. You don't have a foundation. And all of a sudden you're just spinning your wheels because you don't even know where to start. And that happens with a lot of people, including clients, because they immediately see what their end result is and they want that end result so bad that sometimes people are very impatient with wanting to build those habits where you build that foundation on. So making sure like if you want that quote unquote, you're earning the right to diet, make sure that you are focusing on your habits first because that those habits are going to keep you going. We t- we've talked about it before on the podcast about how motivation is pretty bullshit. Yeah. Like relying on motivation is not going to get you to your goal because a motivate a motivation motivation is fleeting that's like some telling somebody who's depressed just be happy just just be happy <laughs> you can't just be happy you have to do things and cultivate actions that are going to make you happy just like you have to cultivate habits to make sure that in those times where you're not feeling motivated it doesn't fucking matter because they're your habits this is something that you do every day. Like for example, me, I like to wake up before my son. I like to wake up. I like to go downstairs. I like to journal. And then I like to dance around my living room like an idiot because (laughs) it's fun and it's a good way to start my day. Those are habits. Now on days where that isn't like where that doesn't happen, like if my little guy wakes up early, so on and so forth, my day feels off. 
And when you are making sure that you're building those habits and you're ingraining those, that's going to be more important. That way on those days where you don't want to show up, you're like, you know what? This is just what I do. This is my routine. And chances are when you show up, when you don't want to, you're going to be way more fucking proud of yourself at the end of the day that that's going to give you motivation to keep going. Actions produce results that produce motivation. So if you're sitting there waiting for motivation to kick you in the ass, you're going to have a couple of great days, but you're not going to have good years. You need to make sure that you're taking the action now so you can get the results that you're looking for, despite whether you're feeling motivated, despite where you're feeling tired or fatigued. You just need to keep showing up. That's that's what it's about is just keep showing up and building those habits. And that's when you're going to earn that right to be in a deficit because you can fall back on those habits when you're not feeling motivated. Yes. What is that James Clear? A lot of people, when they're setting goals, they look at what they're going to do on their best day instead of looking at what they can stick to on their worst day. Yes. <laughs> oh, our yes. boy James Clear. What up? Oh, my God. We're and off that's topic. I don't care. I, Let's keep going. We're off topic, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that is so true. I am going to fucking steal that because what can you stick to? On the worst day, when you are feeling not motivated, when you are feeling like, I don't want to do this anymore, Mm -hmm. what can you do on the worst day? Because on your best day, you can fucking do anything. It's super easy to show up on the motivated, on those best days. Like it's super easy to show up. It's super easy to cook healthy. But what can you do on your worst day? And what can you stick to to stay the course? I fucking love that. Yeah, me too. It's like another way to describe minimums, right? What is the minimum that you can do to keep that ball rolling? It's the dimmer switch again. Exactly. You turn it up, you turn it down. It's never completely off. Yes, I love that. I absolutely love that. It's really a good way to look at and be able to shape your goals in a way that's going to make you successful. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that was a good one. That was a good question. (laughs) Thank you. Whoever asked that question, you fucking rock. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I saw a woman on Instagram this morning who was doing a 72-hour fast. End me. Because, quote, it's really good for your health. She pointed out a book called Fast Like a Girl. This seems insane. What are your thoughts? It is insane. It is insane. And I know that book and I know the person. I don't know the person. I know of the person who wrote that book. And she says some absolutely batshit things. And she's been widely discredited (laughs) by the evidence-based community. Because what she likes to do, among other things, is take animal studies and then apply them to humans, make things up that it just, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. There's no evidence. There's no evidence to back it up. No. And a lot of times, like when I ask people like why they want to fast, it's like, well, I need to detox my system or I need mm-hmm. to I need to reset my metabolism. Stop fucking believing that bullshit. I, I had someone ask me through Instagram, like, oh, well, I'm going to do this detox. That way I can feel better and go into the new year with a fresh start. You have a liver. You have kidneys. You have skin. Those are your detox. Those are naturally embedded to detox your system not a fucking tea. Because think about it this way. If you are following people and you are like, oh, 72 hour fast, fast like a girl, this is going to 
this is going to help me so much. Or, oh, this green supplement's going to help. Oh, this collagen supplement's going to help. Don't you think that our society wouldn't be struggling with the weight epidemic if it does help? Right. We would not be suffering health epidemics if this shit helps. There is nothing that is going to detox your liver. There's nothing that's going to detox your body or reset your metabolism. First of all, like the resetting your metabolism, that doesn't fucking happen. There's no on and off switch. Yeah, if you reset it, you die. So get that (laughs) out of your head right now. You reset it. You're in the ground, man. There is no boosting the metabolism. There can be improving the metabolism, but there's no, there's no, it's, it's not a fucking like turbo. Yeah. (laughs) When it comes to like improving metabolism, it's, figuring out your total daily energy energy expenditure it is making sure that you're strength training to improve muscle mass that way when you when you start gaining muscle mass your body naturally burns more calories that is how you quote unquote boost your metabolism there's nothing booster about that it takes a lot of time and a lot of fucking hard work mm-hmm. yeah some of this lady's claims for fasting and health as well one of the things she says is Fasting for for longer periods of time, like 24 hours, 72 hours, it can balance your hormones, help PCOS, insulin resistance, thyroid issues. Mm, The evidence base actually suggests the opposite of that. Extended fasting can lead to menstrual irregularities, thyroid dysfunction, increased cortisol levels, the exact opposite of what she says. Like you mentioned, Brooke, she really promotes detox diets, which, of course, involves cutting foods out and eating specific foods that are supposed to detoxify the body. But we have a liver and kidneys that if they work fine, we're fine. And if not, we need to go see an actual doctor, not a chiropractor, and get our shit fixed (laughs) with some dialysis or other help. She really has a thing against gluten and dairy, which have a place in a healthy diet, a well-rounded, balanced, health-forward diet, and fat loss, which are two different things, but related. She also says some crazy things about the the gut microbiome, which I'm excited to have in the next couple months here an actual gut health person on to kind of explain what is up with that. I mean, this this specific person is nuts. (laughs) There is no evidence to back up anything she says. Yeah. But, you know, in general, here's the thing with fasting. It's not magic. It's just skipping a meal or multiple, depending on how you do it, which we really don't recommend for a variety of reasons, some of which is the direct relation to rebound binging. Oh, yeah. When your fast is over. That is a huge thing. And talk about upsetting your gut microbiome and your health. That'll do it binging as a result of fasting. From a coaching perspective and a macro perspective, it is is really difficult for people to hit their protein goal when they're intermittent fasting. Very difficult. People are out of touch with their hunger and fullness cues because they push it so far. There's a lot of things about it that we just really don't recommend. Yeah. And I, I agree. It's when you're trying to fast, when you're trying to cleanse, like think about your intention of why you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Is it because you want to lose weight? Because if it is, there are other ways. And we all know it. It's calorie deficit. Yeah. Calorie deficit. And that's something where it's important to get enough protein. It's important to get enough fiber. And when you're fasting, like Iris said, like if you are trying to hit a protein goal and you're fasting, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to supplement that. Big time. 
instead of being able to eat it. And not only that, but like you fast every day anyway. Like, do you fucking sleep <laughs> when you're sleeping? You're fasting. Yeah. You don't need to do these 20, 24 to 72 hour fasts, because if you do lose weight, guess what you're losing? You're losing water. Mm -hmm. You're not losing body fat. It takes a lot longer to lose body fat. Like that takes like a month of consistent calorie deficit to see a change in body fat percentage. I can go take a shit right now and lose a pound. Yeah. I can dehydrate myself today and be a lower weight tomorrow. What are you looking for? And I think that's the most important thing is do you want a lifestyle change or do you want to get fit quick scheme? Because if you want to get fit quick scheme, guess what? You're going to have to learn the hard way because there is no such thing. Yeah. Another thing that we talk about it, but I don't think widely is talked about enough is the psychological effects of all this crap. Like I used to intermittent fast. I used to be a hardcore intermittent faster. And you know, the psychological absolute nonsense that was going on the entire time, because along with all the other <laughs> dietary restrictions I was putting on myself, can't eat this, can't go here. Well, you want to go out for brunch? Too bad. I can't go because it's before my eating window starts. Do you want to hang out later? Nope. Sorry. It's just, it's just nonsense that overcomplicates things. Can intermittent fasting, not talking about fast like a girl in Mindy Pell's version, can a smaller, more reasonable way of intermittent fasting be okay? Yeah, sure. Depending on the person. But far too often and far too easily, it is just another yo-yo extreme, overcomplicated by the internet, overcomplicated by people who just make shit up without the evidence to back it up. So yeah, you're right. It is insane. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What is the next question? I want to be plant-based, but I can't figure out how to stay in a deficit and get enough protein. Suggestions. Hmm. Well, first and foremost, my first suggestion is plan everything around protein. Yeah. Even you meat eaters. Yeah. And when it says want to go plant-based, I'm assuming that's vegan or vegetarian. So like that's something that I think needs to be elaborated on a little bit more. When you are a vegetarian, there are definitely ways that you can get more protein, like without eating meat. There is dairy products, there is eggs, things like that. But if you want to be fully plant-based, like you want to be vegan, you're going to have to supplement with some protein, with some protein powder. And also making sure that you're getting complete protein, making sure that you're eating a variety of different foods to make complete proteins, because I am by no means against plant-based dieting whatsoever, especially for like ethical and moral reasons, but it's going to be hard to be in a deficit, like just period. Like it's going to be hard because you aren't going to be getting protein from animal sources. Yeah. It's got to be a lot more intentional than otherwise. It just, it just does. And because a lot of these plant sources are not complete sources of protein, you're going to have to do a little research into what amino acids are in certain plant proteins and then play with combining them so you can kind of get a complete protein in a meal, which you can do. Some plants have certain amino acids, some plants have others, and if you eat them together, you more or less get a complete protein. It's going to have to be more specific and intentional, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a cool opportunity to learn a lot about food and start playing with your meals and your food structure and putting it together in a way that works for you. And like Brooke said, I'm also not against 
plant-based. I like to think I eat plant-forward. I eat a lot of animal proteins, but I do eat a lot of whole foods, plants with protein. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it is going to be a little bit of a Tetris, and that's okay. Yeah, it's just going to be a little bit harder than how hard a deficit already is. So as long as you're mentally prepared for that, that's what's important. All right, moving into fitness. My teenagers expressed interest in joining a gym. I've only ever worked out at home with free weights and a treadmill. What guidance can I give them about working out at a public gym, etiquette, types of machines, etc.? I like this question. I like this question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I really like this question, especially the etiquette question. I think that's something that a lot of people get anxious about when they are going to a gym is like they don't understand like the etiquette and they get they get nervous because they see things online where it's like people are talking about people not having gym etiquette. So I love this question. As far as gym etiquette, it's pretty simple. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Clean up your shit. Put it back. If someone is using something, you can go up and say, hey, how many sets do you have left? Things like that, like just being communicative with other gym members and just respecting the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as far as types of machines, you can go in with them and say, hey, can you give us a tour? Show us around, show us the machines. And then if your kiddos have some questions about specific ones, you can ask the staff like, hey, can you show me how this works? They're there to help. They'd be more than happy to do so. But yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about gym etiquette, like like Brooke said, is just be generally respectful. Ask if you can work in. Ask if somebody's done with something. Wipe your stuff down if you're sweating all over it. Don't go if you're sick and coughing and sneezing. <laughs> Put your stuff away if you use it. And and just generally be a, a kind person, I think, is is what it comes down to. I would also say the the same thing we tell adults, not teenagers, it's better to go in with a plan than not a plan. Because a lot of people get kind of nervous. And I know we're not really talking about gym intimidation, but I'll mention it because some people get nervous when they go to a gym without a plan because they don't know what they're doing and they feel like they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing because they don't have a plan. So even if they download something online, a plan is better than no plan, even if it's not like a great one. (laughs) They can start there and then eventually start learning more and maybe even, depending on their goals and your capability, hire somebody to help them with specific stuff. I think that can be extremely valuable for teenagers. I've got a teenager client right now and I love her. She's great. Yeah. I was actually just going to mention that. If you have the ability to maybe hire a coach to work with your teenagers. And the reason why I say that is because you want to make sure that they are building a solid foundation. They are doing the compound movements correctly. They're doing them safely. They're learning proper technique. And, and essentially, like that's how you learn gym etiquette too. Like you can learn a lot of gym etiquette through a coach. I think that there's a lot of value in that that can help them throughout their life, throughout their fitness journey. Because like this whole quote unquote fitness journey thing, like it's it's forever. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get to your goal. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm fit for life. See ya. Nope. We're going to have to do this for the rest of your life. Yup. Yeah. And most gyms have like a six week, eight week thing. You don't have to sign a contract for like a year and a half, but just a couple sessions to get them familiar with the space learn the culture of that individual gym and just get the ball rolling. But I'm excited for your teens to get into the gym. I wish, I wish I got into this when I was a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just giving them a solid foundation Mm -hmm. of a healthy lifestyle. 
tactile. And I absolutely love that. So way to go. Like way to go for being supportive of your teens. Yeah. Oh, this next question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are your favorite exercises for building a booty? My little pancake just won't seem to grow no matter what I do. Okay. So building a booty is something that I love for clients. Hmm. And first of all, I have one big question and that is, are you in a calorie deficit? Because if you booty to grow, you got to eat. Yeah. You got to eat and you got to load it. You got to challenge it. It's like building any muscle, right? If you are not challenging it enough to give your body the stimulus to adapt by building muscle, it ain't going to happen. No. So my biggest questions are what Brooke said, are you eating? And then are you loading? And then exercise selection matters too, right? Hugely. Absolutely. I really love a good barbell hip thrust, Bulgarian split squats, reverse lunges. So, and when you're doing a Bulgarian split squat, there are a couple of ways to do them. If you are having an upright torso and you're noticing that your knee is going over your toe or close to it, that's going to be a more quad dominant Bulgarian split squat. So when you're doing a Bulgarian split squat, if you want it to be more glute focused, you can hinge at the hips a little bit more and have your shins more at a 90 degree angle than over your toes. Like having a vertical shin versus a shin that's going over your toes. That is going to put more of your weight. It's going to distribute your weight more to the arch of your foot and your heel. So making sure that when you are doing Bulgarian split squats, you're doing it like a more of a hinge focus. I'm a huge fan, again, of hip thrusts, reverse lunges, especially like deficit reverse lunges that really gets your glutes going too. Yes. Yeah. And when we think about building any muscle, challenging any muscle, we have to think about lining it up properly, right? So what is the main purpose of the glutes? To extend the hip. So when we want to challenge the glutes in that plane of motion, we have to think about loading them in a situation where they have to work to extend the hips. So think RDLs, hip thrusts. Like Brooke said, I absolutely love hip thrusts. And (laughs) the funny thing is when you get stronger and stronger, because you're going to have to, I mean, that booty you want is not hip thrusting 15 pounds. (laughs) It's hip thrusting like 225. So when you load it, some people are like, ah, it's just such a big, annoying setup, which it can be. But that's a really good exercise for that because it does exactly what the glutes are supposed to do. Very simply and under heavy load is extend that hip. Oh, and with that, like when you are doing like a hip thrust making sure that you're not pressing through your toes. Cause I've had clients say that they felt their quads in a hip thrust. So general rule, when it comes to hip thrusts, when it comes to reverse lunges, when it comes to Bulgarian split squats, when it comes to step downs or step ups, making sure that you're distributing your weight more into your glutes by pressing through the arch of your foot, that's going to help a ton. It's going to keep you more stable, but also like making sure that the load is heavy enough or the volume is more. So even if you're going a little bit lighter, making sure that you're really using a lot more volume can also be really, really helpful. Absolutely. And then again, circling back to the food, there are very, very few and specific situations in which somebody can pack on pounds of muscle, and even then it's probably not pounds, in a calorie deficit. And that is if you are on performance-enhancing drugs or steroids, if you are a very, very beginner 
and have never touched a weight before in your life, or if you've just been working out for a long time and never really gotten into hypertrophy stimulus and you start doing that and your body starts to adapt because it's just never experienced that before. Those are really the three. Beyond that, you need to get into maintenance at least. Yeah. And I'll add one more. Like if you are somebody that you that works out, but you've had to take like a long hiatus, like yeah. let's say you have surgery and you haven't been to the gym in six, seven months, like that's also something to be aware of. Like if you've taken a couple months off the gym, you can kind of revert back to those quote unquote newbie gains. Yes. Yeah. I was just talking to a gym friend the other day. She was having some back problems and I was like, yeah, but think about this. <laughs> you get to have that dopamine hit that all of us advanced people long for of more weight every time, more reps every time, <laughs> because at a certain point, you just don't get that anymore. It's just part of the game. Yeah. And I mean, again, making sure you're eating enough to be able to do that. And that is going to require eating a higher amount of protein. Do you yes. want to preserve as much muscle mass as you can, regardless of whether you're in a deficit maintenance or a surplus? Like it doesn't matter. Making sure that you get enough protein is going to help you. Yes. We got to do a protein 101 rundown because a lot of people automatically assume that, oh, bodybuilders, muscle, jacked, protein, but it does so much more. <laughs> it does oh, so absolutely. much more for the body. So much more. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have gone on and on. You want to do one mindset one and then save the rest for another Absolutely. episode? All right. Yeah. I struggle with stress eating. When I get stressed or have anxiety, I always reach for the carby, sugary food. How do I stop this? Stress management. Yeah. That's my first, my first go-to is you need to take a step back. You need to learn how to manage your stress. You need to figure out what is worth the amount of stress and you need to act accordingly. So you know, when it comes to stress eating or having anxiety, that means that you are dealing with some some difficult emotions. So you need to be able to feel those emotions without seeking food. Ways to do that. Like I, I read a book called Burnout and it is an amazing book. And it talks about different ways to complete the stress cycle. Because a lot of times you, let's say you have a stressful job and you get home the stress is gone. Mm -hmm. Once you get home, like you should be able to leave that stress elsewhere. But no, we need to learn how to complete the stress cycle. We need to learn about how to manage those emotions in a way that's going to be a healthy, a healthier habit. And a couple of things that I actually have, like in my client check-in forms is stress management techniques. Like you need to be able to complete the process, whether that's journaling, whether that's meditation, whether it's yoga or whether it's screaming into a pillow literally underrated. That's not a joke. No, absolutely not. And like whether it's having a big cry, like being able to cry and let out your emotions, we need to have our emotions released somewhere because I'm going to be honest, like I hate when people fucking say this, but like the gym is not therapy. It can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. When it comes down to stress eating, I want you to look at your relationship with food also. People are not stress eating apples. That's not how it's working. Like people are stress eating ultra processed, hyper palatable foods. And the first step is going to be managing your stress. It's going to be finding out what the root cause of your stress is and seeing what you can do. Yeah. People are often reaching for and coping with the foods that they, for whatever reason, have put off limits or called bad or feel guilty about eating or you name it. And it's really getting 
into why you feel that way about that food. But then also what Brooke said about get your stress management, your anxiety management to the extent that you can in check and set yourself up ahead of time to be able to handle it better in the moment. Like the probably the worst time to try to come up with a solution is in the heat of the moment. You have to think about this and strategize for it now. And then especially if you know that this is a pattern for you, right? Because you, from what I'm reading in this, this question, you've noticed a pattern here, which is a good thing because then you can start taking actions to change the pattern. And then like Brooke said, end that stress cycle in a different way. Just some questions that I like to have people think about and ask themselves, again, ahead of time, although being able to pause in the moment and consider these things is also hugely helpful and hugely powerful. But think about them now. Think about when I'm in that situation again, what need do I have that is currently not being met that I want to fix with food? Because it's not about the food. I mean, sometimes we have an oral fixation on something that just tastes good and it's hard to moderate and we just want to keep going. Trust, we know how that goes. But when it comes to like emotional and stress eating and coping with food, what need do you have that is not being met and how can you meet it? Do you need to scream into a pillow? Do you need to call a friend who's going to be supportive and not just like dogpile on the negativity? I That I have a real problem with where you are airing a grievance or discussing something that's kind of troubling you and people just kind of dogpile on with negativity instead of just listening to hear and understand. And then maybe if the situation is right, offering a solution. Sometimes you can talk to a friend and say, just, I just need you to listen. I don't want you to try to fix it. And that can be great. But talk to somebody who is not going to be like, yeah, that sucks. I I have a problem with that. (laughs) Because it doesn't help. And it doesn't. Just because you have dealt with the stressor doesn't mean you've dealt with the stress itself. Because if you're finding yourself in that pattern of stress eating, that means that you have not completed the stress cycle. And it is super important to complete the stress cycle. Let's think about it this way. The most efficient way to complete the stress cycle is by actually taking action. And it's through movement. Physical activity, literally moving your body is the first line in attack when it comes to completing the stress cycle and burning out. It's not the only thing that completes it, but making sure that we are like regulating our nervous system is going to be really helpful. You can do some deep breathing as well. You can have positive social interactions, being around people that you love and that make you happy and like trusting your circle. Another one is laughing. Like laughter can help completing the stress cycle. Watching a funny movie that makes you laugh out loud. Affection helps. Like being able to have like a nice big bear hug. That can help too creative expression, a big old cry. Like there are so many things that you can do to help complete the stress cycle. And I'm actually taking notes out of this book that I have read twice. And it is called Burnout, The Secret of Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And it's by Dr. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. They're twin sisters. And this book, it has changed my life personally, really talks about burnout. A lot of times, When we are stress eating and we are exhausted and we're fatigued, it's because we have not completed the stress cycle. It's because we are burnt out. And I can't tell you how many times I've felt burnt out. 
and making sure that you're dealing with stress in a way that is going to actually complete the cycle is so important. Cream into a pillow. I love that. I just bought it. You did. You're like, bye. It's amazing. And if you look at it and you sit back, you're going to have heavy feelings. A lot of people are not emotionally equipped enough to deal with these heavy feelings. And the first time and the first way to know that you are equipped for that is that you're actually managing the stress cycle. Me, I will literally Kim Kardashian ugly cry into a pillow and scream. I know that sounds really extra, but it's true. And I love doing it. That's a good way to complete the stress cycle. And you feel so much better when you do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I like to do is go sit in my car and just like scream roar at the top of my lungs. And I don't know why it just feels better in the car. You just like grip the steering wheel, not driving anywhere. (laughs) And then just like let it out. Because you don't get to do that that often, really. And it just feels good. Yeah. And like overall, when you are stress eating and you notice that you have anxiety, I want you to challenge yourself of, of sitting in the discomfort of that, whether that's writing it down, whether it's calling a friend and talking it out. Being able to do that is really a gift that you can give yourself because you don't have to be stuck in that in that stress cycle with the stress eating because usually that looks like binging or overeating. And you don't have to do that. Like that's going to impact your relationship with food. So finding other ways to deal with it is going to be so helpful. And one of the things that have helped me the most in my life with this is going to therapy. Mm-hmm. It is talking to someone who is unbiased of the situation and help can help you see things through a different lens. So I highly recommend that. Yes. Could not agree more. Well, this has been a long episode, but I loved every minute of it. I did too. It's like, I I don't want it to end, but I know it has to end sometimes. (laughs) I know, I know. And there's some questions we didn't get to, so I'm going to hang on to them for later. But thank you guys for staying this long. We hope you had a nice long walk. (laughs) Yes, I hope you did. I hope that you eat your protein, eat your veggies, drink your water, your raisin. (laughs) And we will talk to you next time. Same time, same place. Bye-bye. I love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Dude, that was so good. That really was. <laughs> <laughs>